As we look in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, through the book of chapter 3, I want you to recognize one thing. Even though we serve others and follow God's commands, we will still find ourselves in difficult situations. Does that make sense? You can be serving God with your whole heart. You can be following Him with all that you say and do, but we are still going to find ourselves in difficult situations. Life is not going to go easy for us. Would you all agree with that? Life is not easy. Whether it's a car accident, frustration at work, frustration with family, life is not easy. It just happens. Satan does not want us to find joy. Satan wants us to be frustrated with life. And he's going to do all he can to get us frustrated, to get us fearful, to get us discouraged. And as we go through this life, and one thing is that as you read through the book of Esther, as I've been reading through it, I'm just amazed and I look around at life, I see God's fingerprints everywhere. Everywhere. If you look for them, you will find them. If you're not looking for them, you can pass right over them. Oh, it's just life, it's just work, it's just relationships, it's just... My old youth pastor posted a picture this week, he got stopped by a cop. He got a speeding ticket. And yet, who knows what that speeding ticket saved him from right down the road. The fingerprints of God. Even in those times, we can find joy. Now, I'm sure he's not going to want to go to court and pay a $200 speeding ticket. But maybe it's better than the uh, car wreck he would have gotten in down the street. Who knows? The fingerprints of God. Always look for those opportunities to find the fingerprints of God all around you. Even in the midst of the situation here in Esther, where last two weeks ago we talked about how the king deposed his wife, chose Esther to become his new bride, the new queen. Out of all the women in his harem, he chose Esther to be the head queen. The fingerprints of God. Here in the end of chapter 2, we find that Mordecai has proved himself to be faithful to the king. And when questioned, he questions actions of others and finds himself that he is going to become a faithful, loyal servant of this king. He saves the king's life and gets his name put into book. He doesn't get rewards, he doesn't get recognized by those around. He gets his name in a book. And later on, we know that it comes back to bless him. The fingerprints of God. What does our loyalty and integrity toward others tell us about God? There's a book my kids read years ago called Little Britches takes place here in Lakewood, actually not born. takes place in Lakewood, down in the Bear Valley area of, of Colorado. It's a great little book. I don't remember who wrote it, but you can find it. That's one of my girls. They can tell you. They've got all their books cataloged in their minds. They're like steel traps in there. They remember everything I've ever done, good and bad. Trust me, steel traps. One of the things that this dad tells his son, he says, son, You are building a character house in your life. And every time you do something that goes against your character, 
or that breaks down your integrity. It's like plucking a little nail out of your house. It's shattering a window. It's maybe putting a hole in the side. And we want to be known as men and women of God whose character houses are intact in our lives. Now it's possible to go back later on if we've messed up our our house, put a little putty in there. Last year for Christmas, I I hung hung lights up outside our house and spring came and I pulled the nails out and I probably shouldn't have pulled the nails out of there. Now i got a hole in the side of my house. And rain can seep down and get into the wood and mess it up i got to go through and take some putty now and patch up that hole. But you know what? White putty on a gray house just doesn't match. So now my house is kind of messed up. Shouldn't have done that. Should have left the nails. Putting is okay, but it leaves a mark. Same with our, our, our houses, our character houses. Here Mordecai, in the end of chapter 2, and now proving himself loyal to the king. So the questions come up later about his loyalty, about his character. It's not hard for the king to go back and say, you know, I see the fingerprints of God in this man's life. It's easy to go back later on and say, I can see how I can believe, I can trust this man, I can believe this man over the accusations of others. Follow with look him down in chapter 2, verse 19 of the book of Esther. It says, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred of her people as Mordecai commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up to him, brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hold on the king on the king Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and the Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. See, here Mordecai proves his loyalty to the king. He proves that he is a man who can be trusted by the king. He discovers a plot, reports it to Esther, who then passes on the information to the king. And after the investigation, it comes to find out that Mordecai's word is found to be true and trustworthy. His good works later on were subsequently, his works later on were forgotten until a later date. But you know what? Our good works are never forgotten by God. Mordecai did a good thing before his king. He reported this act. He saved the king's life. It was written down. But because the king is, 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 has other things on his mind, he forgot about it. We serve a God who sees, and our works are never forgotten by God, good and the bad. One day when we stand before the Lord, our works will be judged, not for salvation, but they will be looked upon and you'll be given, we will be given rewards based on our works here in this world. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, talks about laying, laying up our treasures in heaven, and our faithful works are light in the dark world. Our, our faithful works in this world are like a light shining in the darkness. Matthew chapter 7 says, we are to bear good fruit in this world. That's our command, to bear good fruit. Matthew chapter 12 says, we are going to make an account for each careless word uttered. Anybody there this, with me this week? 
Careless words? Yeah. We're going to make an account for each careless word we uttered, not just our actions. God's going to look at our lives and judge us. What hope is there for us? If we are to put our rest, if we are to put our our hope in our actions and our words, there is no hope. We can rest in the fact that our hope and our, our future is not based on our actions, but it's based on the work of Christ on our behalf. My work, I fail every time, but it's the work of Christ for me, which I put my hope and trust in. And that we can be secure. Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and encouraging us to work hard, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, burned up rather, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only is through fire. See, the work that we do as believers, the, the, the loyalty we have to our God, the faithfulness we serve our God with, that is what's going to be judged. The attitudes of the, of the worship leaders up here will be judged. It's, you, you, people sit out there and they look at all of us up here and go, oh, they play so good, they sing so nicely most of the time. Oh, David, you messed up again this morning. Yes, I know I mess up quite often. But what is the attitude of the people up here? What is the attitude of the worshipers up here? That is what God's looking at. Not necessarily our, our behavior, not necessarily how well we do. It's our attitude and our actions. That's the gold, precious stones, silver, wood, hay, and stubble. And that's what's going to be laid on the fire at the day of judgment. And whatever, if we have a bad attitude, if I'm simply going, look at how good I am up here playing, woo aren't I a great drummer? That attitude burns up. But if I'm up here with a pure spirit, a pure heart, leading in worship to lead everyone here in worship, that remains. And that gets a reward from God in heaven. See, God looks at our hearts, doesn't he? God looks at our hearts. This is where the test is. That's what Paul is saying. On the day of judgment, your attitudes will be disclosed. They will be revealed. And the God who judges will see what's in our hearts. Take care when you're serving the Lord that you do it with proper motives. Take care when you're ministering to others that you do it with the proper motives. Not to draw attention to yourselves. Not to draw attention to me. I want to draw attention to the one who saved me. I want to draw attention to the one whose fingerprints are all over my life. I mean, remember, it's about finding the fingerprints of God. It's about God's fingerprints being all over me. I want to see, let the world see God's fingerprints in me. I don't want them to see David. I don't want them to see Regina. I don't want them to see the other family or the other clan. I want them to see Jesus in us. That is the goal. And that was part of Mordecai here, too, is in, in the Word of God. He is coming at this, his job. He's doing it with the best of his ability, serving in the court, in the king of the the court of the king, rather. And doing it the best of his ability. Why? Because he is loyal to that king. He's loyal to his king. Every weekend he goes to the synagogue. 
And the synagogues were started in Babylon. And they carried on through. As these people, as these Jews remained behind after the initial group of uh, Jews were sent back to Israel to build up the, the wall and then the city. These Mordecai and Esther and their, and their group, they stayed behind in Babylon, in Assyria. This was home. Many of them were born there. This was their home. They didn't have any real memories of Israel and what was behind. This was their home. And now they were making a home. They were taking and building, building up their faith in a synagogue and letting the fingerprints of God be seen in them in the life that they lived. And he wants God to be glorified in him. Our works done for our own benefit in this life will not benefit us in the next. They will be burned up. God is the God who sees everything. He sees our hearts. He sees our actions. He sees our devotion. He sees what you do in the secret. He sees the way you speak to your spouse. He sees the way you speak to your neighbors. He sees all. There's no hiding. You can't go to the highest mountain and get away. You can't go to the deepest depths and get away. God sees all. That's both scary and exciting at the same time, isn't it? It's scary and exciting because even when you're struggling, even when you think that nobody else is around you, you're at your shop, you're at your office, you're by yourself on vacation, and you're struggling, God sees. When you think nobody else is around, God sees. You're never alone. God sees you. His fingerprints are all over. Chapter 3, we see, even though Mordecai does this great thing for the king, the Jews face destruction. Haman is out for blood. He wants to destroy and kill all of the Jews. And they are in a very bad spot. Who is Haman? Who is this man, Haman the Agagite? If you look back, we're not going to look back, but in your reading, you go back to read who Mordecai was. His family history, his ancestors, he comes from a line of Kish. Anybody know who else came from the line of Kish? Saul, the very first king of Israel. One of Saul's commands by God was to go and destroy the Amalekites. The king of the Amalekites was a man known as King Agag. And in 1 Samuel, after Saul had gone and defeated the Amalekites in battle and had brought back all their sheep and their goats, he destroyed all the people. He had the king sitting there. And Samuel comes walking up, walks into the presence of Saul and says, Saul! I hear that you've defeated the, the Amalekites. I hear that you've destroyed all the people, destroyed all the animals, as you were commanded. But what is this bleeding I hear? Not bleeding like bleeding blood. What is this bleeding I hear on the hills? Well, I wanted to save the choices of the lambs and choices of the sheep so that we could bless our people, Israel. Samuel says, What was the command? Your command, Saul, was to wipe out everybody and everything, to leave nothing standing. 
to hunt them all down and destroy them. Now, in our minds, as 21st century Americans, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I'll be honest, it seems harsh. I struggle with some of those things in Scripture. I go, really, did you have to go and destroy all the men and women, children, and the little goats and the sheep and the dogs and the pigs and all those? The question was, was Saul obeying? Was he willing to obey everything that God commanded him? I don't know what exactly the Malachites have been doing. I, I was not there to witness their sins against Almighty God. I wasn't there to see the child sacrifices. I wasn't there to see people being abused and tortured. I wasn't there to see the destructive nature of those people. I only read about it and words don't convey pictures very well. If we'd been there at that time and seen what had happened, how many of us, how many people today want to have you heard about say, let's just go and wipe out all those in the Middle East. Let's just go wipe out ISIS. Let's wipe out the Iraqis. Let's wipe out the Iranians. Because you've seen the pictures. You haven't just read the stories. So when Saul was commanded to wipe out these people because of their atrocities, much like the attitudes of people today toward those in the Middle East, or let's go wipe out those crazy North Koreans. Let's go nuke them all. I've heard a lot of people. I've seen it on Facebook. I've heard a lot of people say those same things. Just go and nuke them all. Kill them all. They're crazy. They're stupid. They're idiots. It's easy to see. We look at it. We read these stories now and go, oh, those poor people. And yet we have many people have the same attitudes toward others today. But here Saul is supposed to go and destroy the king, destroy all the people, and he doesn't. And one of the ancestors of King Agag escapes. Years and years and years and years later, here's Haman. Do you think maybe there was a little rivalry? Do you think maybe he'd heard stories about these Israelites, these Jews, that had killed and wiped out most of his people. He'd heard stories about Saul of Kish and all that he had done and how Samuel came in and beheaded his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And he had a little bit of anger in his heart toward these people. And here you have Mordecai, a descendant of Saul. And it's almost like the battle all over again, isn't it? Follow with me in chapter 3, verse 1 and following. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were with him, who were at the king's gate, bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now the book doesn't record Mordecai's answer, but we can kind of infer that the right answer would be for Mordecai that only God is to be honored in this manner. 
When Mordecai is there, he's supposed to bow down. Now, paying respect to somebody is one thing, but to bow down and treat this man as if he were royalty, treat this man as if he were deity, Mordecai is saying, I don't think so. I serve the Most High God. And he decides to reserve his honor for the one who truly deserves it, back in the synagogue. Mordecai thought it would be an affront, affront to God to give such honor to Haman, and Haman obviously thought it was an affront to not receive it. So Haman goes all out for the blood of the Israelites. Verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Skip down to verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict among all the Haman commanded according to all the Haman commanded. And it was written to the king's satraps, to the governors, and all the provinces, to the officials of the people, to every province, in his own script, in every people in his own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. Sound familiar? And in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their goods. <clears throat> the Jews had 11 months to prepare for their destruction. What would you be doing? If you knew that in 11 months from now, your family was going to be wiped out, your people were going to be wiped out, what would you be doing? Maybe God used this as a way to draw his people back to himself, to draw them to their knees. How many of us, when a president gets elected that we don't approve of, our first thought is to go to our knees and to pray, pray for protection, to pray that, God, you don't let this happen to us. The fear is out there. We, we don't want to have our rights taken away from us. We go to our knees and we pray. And then the president gets elected who we approve of. Oh, I can relax now. And we stop praying. We stop going before God. Because we can relax. Maybe God uses this as a way to draw his people to himself. Maybe God uses this as a way to get the people back out of the land of, of Assyria, now back to their homeland there in Israel, which is still under his command of this king, but maybe they were to take them back to their land. Whatever the reason... Mordecai didn't change his behavior still. He saw it as a way for God to miraculously save his people. To find God's fingerprints all around. A lot of times, youth camp, retreats, revivals, missions, conferences, the like, even last week when I was in Orlando, the end of the preaching time, I was just overcome and I said, God, I want to recommit my life to you to just throw it all down the altar again, to serve you, to let your name be great through me, to 
Let your fingerprints be seen in and through me. Be like taking a thousand dollar bill. Imagine you're given a thousand dollar bill, and you take it, and you want to take a thousand dollar bill. Say, God, I'm going to throw it down and lay it at your feet. This thousand dollar bill. Give it all to you. A ten thousand dollar bill, hundred thousand dollar bill, million dollar bill, whatever it is, and you lay it down. And say, God, I'm committing myself to you. Whatever you want, I want to lay it before you. But then God takes that bill and he hands it back to you. And he says, go and take it to the bank and cash it. And you go to God's bank and you come out with this jar of quarters. And he says, now take your jar. You fill your pockets. And you go and you be my hands and feet to others. And so as you go out and you're walking through town and you're at work and you, you go and you want to be a blessing, you hand somebody a quarter. Not physically. You, you would say, I want to pray for you. You, you are God's hands and feet. And you maybe 50 cents over here and you, you're praying with somebody for their, the needs and you're walking somebody else and you, here's 10 cents cause for you and here's 50 cents for you. And man, you've got a lot of needs, Aaliyah, and I'm going to give you a dollar. She's a preacher's kid. She's got a lot of needs, trust me. And you're letting, God's hands, you're letting God's fingerprints be worked through you as you are ministering to those around you. And all of a sudden you've got $1,000, $10,000, million dollars in quarters and your job is to pass them out every single day to those around you. To let the hands of God, let the fingerprints of God be seen through you as you are at work, as you are in the community. As you're ministering in His name. See, we can make decisions. Mordecai made a decision to be loyal and serve the king. And things didn't necessarily go well. We have decisions to make as well every single day. And we're not always, our lives are not going to be easy as a result of our decisions. But we are called by God to live faithful lives regardless of what goes on around us. We are called by God to be his hands and feet, to let his fingerprints be seen through us in our community, in our neighborhood, in our country. So as you go to work tomorrow, imagine your pockets are full. I meant to bring a pocket full of coins this morning. I totally forgot. So imagine you got a jingle, jingle, jingle in my pockets. And you're going to work and you got your pockets full of God's quarters. You go to the store and you got a pocket full of God's quarters. You go to Bible study and you got a pocket full of God's quarters. And there's somebody in need, somebody that's hurting. And you put your arm around them and say, man, let me pray for you. Let me, let me love on you. Let me do something for you. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. Let me be a blessing to you and let God's, be God's hands and feet to our world. And pass out those quarters. Because you can't take them with you. You already said, God, I'm laying it all before you on the altar. I'm giving you everything. This is your money. I'm giving it to you. And God says, great, now go and pass it out to others. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be God's hands and feet? Are we willing to take God's quarters that are not ours anyway? He's, we, he gave them back to us to be used for His glory and pass it out to others? In closing, let's focus on seeking ways to exalt God's name through our lives.
It's not about exalting my name. It's not about lifting up my name or even my church. It's about exalting God. Exalting the name of the Most High God. Of giving Him the glory and honor that He alone deserves. Letting Him be seen in and through us to a hurting and dying world that is without Him. Every single day, God has placed people in your life who are hurting. God has placed people in your life who need a touch from God. God has placed people in your life who need to hear God's voice through your mouth. Are you willing to pass out those quarters? Who has God placed in your path that you need to be a conduit for these little blessings from God? 25, 50 cents, 10 cents, 75 cents, a dollar. And recognize that God's fingerprints were all over Mordecai and his decisions. And his fingerprints are all over us as well. Or should be. All over us as well. The temptation Satan wants you to do is he wants you to scrub off those fingerprints. He wants you to try to cover them up. To not let God be seen in your life. To not let the life, this changed life that Jesus has brought be seen in you. But it's our task as children of God, as the body of Christ, to let Christ be seen in us and not hide it, but to shine brightly to this world. Can we do that this week? Can we do that this month? To let God's fingerprints be on us as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, Lord, that your fingerprints are visible. They're visible in this world. It's our job as your children to let let others see those fingerprints, to let you be seen in our lives. to glorify your name in all that we do and say through our actions, our words. Lord, when we fail you, forgive us. Lord, forgive me. Forgive this body when we fail you. As we go before you, as we go, go to our knees before you, Lord, just forgive us when we fail you. Let us do a better job of being your hands and feet, of letting your light be seen in this world through our actions, through our words, so that all that we do and say, Lord God, let it be done to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just before we sing, I'd like to take a couple just have you take a couple minutes, just you and God. Just bow your heads and say and ask for forgiveness. I find place just you and God, whatever He's wanting you to confess to Him today. I don't know what it is. 
Just you and God, just a couple minutes. and sing this final song of worship now. Let this be your prayer to God as you lift up the name of Jesus Christ to give him praise and glory this morning and as we bring our worship time to an end. Worship giving all I am to seek your face Lord all I am yours my whole life I place in your hands God of mercy humble I bow down in your presence at your throne and I called you and you came to my rescue and I want to be where you are and I called you answered and you came to my rescue and I Wanna be where you are. I can be seated. Have the ushers come forward, take up this morning's offering.